Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. And um, as you turn there, I'd like to ask you to stand and, um, for the reading of God's Word. Genesis chapter 11, the first nine verses. And it says, starting in verse 1, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the fact that we are able to look to it, but see in a mirror of who we are as people. And Father, I just pray now that your word would be proclaimed and Christ would be proclaimed, Father, and that your spirit would just move through the preaching of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, and some of you may be sitting there asking, how do we go from Acts to Genesis? Well, there's really no logical explanation other than the fact that um, my small group, we're working through Genesis um, on Tuesday nights, and so this is just kind of where I kind of naturally gravitated to because just kind of where a lot of my study has been recently. But this morning, we're going to be looking at the Tower of Babel, and specifically, we're going to be looking at um, one of the topics in there is language. And language is something that I believe is really a curse from God whenever it goes to try to learn another language. Um, I took, in high school, I took three years of French, and the third year, the only reason why I took the third year was because the teacher told us that if we would take the third year, she would automatically give us an A, and it didn't matter how good we did on it, and I needed points on my GPA, and so, so I took a third year of French don't remember too much from it. And so language, though, is hard. Language study is hard. And if you enjoy it, I, I, was, I would be questioning. I'm like, what is wrong with you? But last night, I was sitting there, and I was talking through two of my oldest kids. And I was sitting there, and we were like, well, what's your favorite subject? Like, do you enjoy learning language? And they were like, oh, man, Latin is our favorite subject. Yeah, so Michelle, thank you. So, and, um, and, so, and so they were like, Latin is our favorite subject. And I'm like, well, you just blew my point out the water, and there's something wrong with you. And so, but, but this passage, though, really does show us how language is a curse. Not specifically one language, but why there are so many different languages across the globe. And it's as a result of God cursing man because of what they were attempting to do. And this is where we find ourselves in the book of Genesis chapter 11. And a little bit of a background of this passage is that um, 
the creation had occurred with Adam and Eve, and they sinned in Genesis chapter 3 and brought the whole curse of sin upon the earth. And um, they had some children, Cain and Abel. Well, Cain goes and he murders his brother Abel, and as a result is sent out to the east to build cities. And so, but the wickedness across the earth continues to get worse and worse and worse until finally God had had enough in which God called Noah to build an ark and the earth was destroyed, um, the people were destroyed um, because of the wickedness of man through the flood, except for Noah and his family. And you know the story of the animals. And so the ark lands, and it's in somewhere around modern-day Turkey, and, and as it lands, um, they start to disperse. And God comes to Noah in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, and he gives him a blessing and a command. And he says to him, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth. So, and as a result of this right here, the command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, Noah's descendants, they start to, their wives, they start to spread out. They start to have many kids. They start to have, they start to spread out across the globe. And so one of his descendants was this guy named Nimrod. And Nimrod was characterized as someone who was a mighty hunter. And in Genesis chapter 10, you see a little bit of a description of Nimrod that he actually founded the city of Babel and that he was actually, this was the beginning of his kingdom. So Nimrod became apparently just a mighty force during that time period. But as they traveled across the land, Nimrod and everyone, they come upon this place called the um, Plain of Shinar, or some of your translations may say the plain of Babylonia, and they begin to, um, they begin to start looking around the, the city. And so they say, why are we going to travel along and disperse? Why don't we build a city right here and stay right here in this area since it's just a great place to live? And so they begin building a city. They start forming brick by brick until one house comes up and then maybe another one, and then maybe, and then maybe a, a bigger building starts to come up. And all of these buildings and structures begin to come up in the plain of Shinar, and then they, a tower starts to rise up out of that. And this tower was, a, was a, just a huge structure during that time period um, known as most likely as a ziggurat. And this ziggurat, as it came up out of the ground, God knew what was going on. And God wanted to find out exactly what was happening. It's sort of like, as a parent, if you're a parent with kids still at home, younger, specifically younger kids, and parents, if you've had kids, you, you remember this, one of the highlights of your night is whenever all the kids are in the bed. Because you are sitting back and you are like, finally, some peace and quiet, finally, we can actually think and we're not chasing around children and, and, and their destructive behavior. But one of the things, though, is during the daytime, if you're used to a lot of noise, but yet all of a sudden everything gets quiet, you realize that something's up. And you try to figure out, it's like, okay, they shouldn't be... It shouldn't be this quiet. In fact, we've got a little boy about to turn a year who's crawling, and you just know once it gets quiet, you better be checking up on him. Because either the, um, he has made his, his way in the bathroom, and there's toilet water all over him and the wall, or 
another child has grabbed a pair of scissors and has decided that they wanted to go in training to be a beautician and a makeup artist. And so, and so you, all of this stuff, whenever quiet is going on, you realize that something is up. And God knew that something was up with the people. And, and because He knows everything. He could see everything. And so God came down, and He wanted to see what was happening. And so He comes, and He sees this great city, and He sees the tower. And His response to them was the fact that, look, they are all, there is nothing now, that there's nothing that they can do. And so let us go down, which is a really a remarkable reference to the Trinity. Whenever you see the Trinity at work here, whenever he says, let us go down, um, but let us go down and confuse their language. And so God comes down and confuses their language and where they're no longer able to understand. So imagine if you're one of these and no longer can your wife understand you. You can't understand your wife, but it would probably be a little bit longer that you notice because you're not listening anyways. And, but then, um, not that I'm a guy and understand any of that, but you can't understand your kids. Your kids can't understand you, which they already pretend to not understand you. And so, and so you can't communicate with your friends. You can't communicate with anyone around you. The process of communication has been, has been taken out. And man can no longer communicate with one another. And this is one of the key elements for a man, for us to be able to communicate one, with each other. And this is one of the hardest things that if you go to another country, you see this in full force. Because if you go to a place where your language is not the predominant language, then all of a sudden you're, you're lost because you can't communicate with another human being. And this is what happened at Babel. And the people, it says that God dispersed them throughout the land to fulfill his promise. And so whenever you think about this passage and you see this passage, there's a couple things that I believe that this passage teaches us in regards to um, who we are as people and some of our natural tendencies. And what's amazing about this is the natural tendencies of the people at Babel are still in full force today. These are still things that we are still struggling with. Mankind as a whole, those who are far from God and those who need the gospel, that this is what sums them up. But at the same time, as followers of Christ, it is things that we are struggling with and it is things that we have to fight through in our own life to fight through the sin nature within our life. And so the first thing that we need to see out of this passage is that man has a natural tendency to be self-sufficient from God. Whenever they went to build this, um, this ziggurat, as it rose up out of the ground, God wasn't coming down and cursing them because of how big that the, um, the tower was. In fact, the main reason that God came down to curse this tower was because of what it represented to them and to him. Because whenever they built this, um, this tower, it was actually a way for them to reach God. And it was their attempt to try to reach God and to reach who he was. In fact, the tower, it was, it was made of brick and it was a large staircase and it was, it was an impeding structure. And as it went up, the top of it actually was painted blue 
so that it would actually look like it was actually going up into the sky. And there was a shrine up on the very top of it. And so their whole goal with this was that they wanted to create a way to reach God outside of the ways that he had already set and the ways that he had already designed for them to have a relationship with him. And this was how why that what they were attempting to do was to be self-sufficient and to create a way for that they were able to reach God and have a relationship with God that met their needs as opposed to what God had already commanded. One commentator says that the purpose of the tower reaching the heavens was so that they would be able to create an access to God outside of the realm that he had already designed. They desired, they wanted to have a relationship with God, but their relationship with God was going to be on their terms and what they wanted. And there is so many ways that we attempt to have a relationship with God on our own terms as opposed to what God has actually already commanded. First and foremost, we know that the only way to God the Father is through His Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sake. And whenever we repent of our sins and put our faith and trust in Him, then we're able to have a relationship with God. And we have access to the Father through the Son. But many times, well, 100% of the time, unbelievers, they reject the Son... And so, but they still believe that they can have access to God. And you see this kind of play out in many different religions across the world whenever people are attempting to have access to God outside of Jesus Christ. You see it also played out in the fact of people are actually doing things in which they believe that it is for their own glory and for their own magnification outside of God. You saw, and actually what's interesting about this is you see this happen again in Daniel chapter 4 with Nebuchadnezzar, who, guess where he was king of? Babylon. And with Nebuchadnezzar as king of Babylon, he said this statement. He was sitting around and he said, Is not this the great Babylon which I've built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? And while he was still speaking that, God came down and said to him, your kingdom is leaving you right now. And as a result, you're going to become a wild man and you're going to be out in the fields crawling around, scrounging for food because you have gone mentally insane because of your declaration of of attempting to be self-sufficient for me. And it's key for us as followers of Christ, to understand that this whole self-sufficiency from God is something that we deal with on a regular basis. People deal with the unbelievers because they attempt they can have access to God outside of Christ. But yet as believers, the way that we attempt to do this is the way that we actually live our lives in a way that shows that really that we don't need God within our life. And this plays out specifically within relationships that we have with other believers. What a lot of times Christians will do is they will say, I don't need other believers around me. I don't need other people around me. I don't need a relationship with other people around me. Well, this is the reason why small groups are important. This is the reason why small groups are an integral part to people's relationship, to people walking with Christ within the local church. Because what small groups should do is the fact is that through the study of the word, through prayer, 
through care, through love for each other, through accountability to one another, to holding each other accountable. We should spur each other to spiritual growth. And what happens with relationships is that we become sufficient. We need them in our lives. We cannot be self-sufficient apart from God, and we can't be self-sufficient apart from other believers as, as well, because if we do then we have got something off track and we are going in a way in which we believe that we don't need the systems that God has designed in order to spur us to spiritual growth. But how does this play out also in the life of a believer? What does it look like for a believer who may not even realize that their life is becoming one who is self-sufficient from God? And I believe there's a couple different ways that this kind of plays out and it comes with asking us some questions, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to, I want you to truly ask yourself these questions right here. What would your life look like today if, actually tomorrow, if God was taken out of the equation today? What would your lo life look like tomorrow if God was taken out of the equation today? And here's where you have to answer. Would your life be drastically different? Or would your life be the very same as it is right now if God was not in your life? Another way to look at this, and, and some of you say, oh no, my life would be completely different. Well, let me ask you this. And, and I believe that we mean that with our heart, that, that it would be drastically different. But let me ask you this, what does your prayer life look like? Because are you able to go from Sunday to Sunday without prayer or just prayers at meals? What about your study and your time in the Word? Are you able to go from Sunday to Sunday with no interaction with the Word of God? What about the aspect, do you leave on Sunday and the next thing that you, next time that you actually think about your relationship with Christ and you think about God is next Sunday whenever you come back? Or are you one of those who actually comes every other? So it's really only on a biweekly basis that you think about God. Because if you answer those questions in a way that actually, that you have no need for prayer or you're not spending time in the Word, then what that shows is that you have actually become self-sufficient self of yourself and you have actually, you have no need for God within your life. And you say, well, Chris, I don't, I don't believe that. You're right, you don't believe that, but your actions is what is showing that. That is where the actions are showing and the actions are showing that you show in your life that you have no need for God to, to work in your life and no need for God in your life. But there's another thing that to discover in this passage and that we see in this text, and that is the fact that we have, man has a natural tendency to replace God's plans. And what I mean by that is that we are able to look, God has said, this is my plan. It, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a step. It's like, this is what I want you to do. You know, you know God, has, God has told us how we should live our lives through the Word. But yet, what we do is, it's like, God, I understand you said that, but I kind of think my way is a little bit better. I think I've come up with just a little bit better plan than, than what you could come up with. And you're saying, Chris, I don't, I don't do that. Okay, well, we'll talk about that in just a minute. But what happened here is that 
the people, as they moved across the plain and they came to Shinar, they decided to build a city. And they decided to build a great city. And the reason why you think that's kind of a noble thing. You're right, it is noble because I, don't, I wouldn't want to separate from everyone that I, would, I knew. I wouldn't want to go and to, to see my cousins move off. I would hate to see my friends, those that I've been traveling with, would hate to see them move off. But God commanded them to disperse. Remember back to Genesis 9-1, whenever he told Noah to go and be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. This was God's command, but yet man changed God's plan by created, creating a city. And what's interesting about this is that whenever you look back at Genesis, specifically at Cain, the building of cities was not a part of God's plan. God's plan was for people to spread out, but yet even through Cain, who came up and was a builder of cities, that that was actually outside of the plan of God at that time to build cities. And in fact, another part of this that you can see the people were out of the will of God is whenever it says that they're actually traveling east. During this um, part of the scripture, the whole idea of traveling east meant moving away from God's plan, moving away from the will of God. You saw that again with Cain whenever it, said, whenever it talks about east of Eden. This whole idea of moving east, directional east, was away from um, the will of God. And as the people built this city, a great city rose up out of the midst. And this great city still has implications today. This great city will play a role later on throughout um, history. And this city is the city of Babylon. Babylon came to prominence um, through Nebuchadnezzar. It was a very prominent city. It was known as one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Um, it was known as being the place, if you're familiar with the seven ancient wonders of the world, of where the hanging gardens of Babylon were located. It was a beautiful city, a magnificent city, but it had one thing against it. It represented everything opposite of God. It represented evil. It represented wickedness because it was built up as a way to change the plans that God had established. And what's kind of interesting about this is if you look throughout Scripture, Satan always comes up with an alternative plan of what God's plan is. Just like God's plan, if you read the book of Revelation, it's the New Jerusalem. Well, Satan responded with Babylon. And Babylon was his attempt to replace Jerusalem. And so Babylon is a city that throughout Scripture, it is always represented as wickedness and evil. Revelation 14.8 says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Babylon will be destroyed for eternity, and Satan's kingdom will be destroyed. Babylon was man's attempt and Satan's attempt to change what God had already ordained and what the path that God had already set. You know, we do this a lot. There's so many different ways that we're able to change the path, to change, we want to change things. If we're given the instructions on something, we automatically want to change those instructions. Um, how many of you have gone shopping at Ikea? So some of you have gone to Ikea, and Ikea is fascinating. And we've been down there, quite a few things and bought things. But what's fascinating about Ikea is the fact that you can go in there, you walk the stores, and everything looks incredible. Then you come through this warehouse, and you go and you get a little box about this size, and it has a full-size sofa in it. And you're sitting there, and you're trying to figure out, how in the world is there a sofa in there? I don't know. There's a sofa. In fact, 
Then you get your sofa. You don't even need a cart because you've just got a basket putting your sofa in it. And then you go through and you find a little matchbox and you're like, man, those are some cool matches in there. So like, that's not a match, that's a chair. And so you take the chair and you put it in there and then you go home and then you open up the, the packaging and they come with this piece of paper in Swedish and yet, again, the curse of languages. You know, and so it has, it has Swedish instructions, but there's pictures to show you everything that you should do. But if you change those directions one little bitty way with that IKEA furniture, what's going to happen is you're going to get frustrated. You're going to forget about your relationship with Christ because you're going <laughs> to fall into to the flesh. And what's going to happen is you're going to load that half-built piece of furniture back into your car, drive it back down to Ikea, and you're going to, it's going to show up there in the room as you check out of all the return furniture, right? And so, but this is a way that with instructions, instructions are important. God's instructions are important to us. The way that God has set the standard is important to us. And the only way that we know God's instructions and God's path is by staying in the Word and following the Word and reading the Word and putting the Word into our life. That is the only way for us to know God's instructions. It's not by just thinking through and rationalizing things and thinking the most logical answer, but it's about us understanding what God's commands and what His will for us is. But yet, there's a couple different ways that man attempts to actually go around this and to change God's plans on things. And I think the first way is that people say that sins are okay because God wants us happy. And have you ever heard, had anyone say to you, well, it's okay because God just wants me to be happy. Can I tell you something? God could care less about your happiness. What God cares about is the fact that you are in His will and that you're being obedient to Him. God's role is not to sit there and be like, man, well, I sure hope Chris is happy. Man, he can do whatever he wants to, just as long as he's happy. What you've done, if you fall into that trap of thinking that everything is okay by allowing sin just because God wants us to be happy, then what you have done is you have created a false God in your mind. You have created a God in your mind that only exists to you because it really doesn't exist because the God of the Bible does not follow that. That is not the God of the Bible. And what happens whenever someone, people follow this path is that then they go down a path of the fact, well, I can do anything that I want because God wants me happy. And I don't know how many times it has broken my heart through counseling sessions that seen that Marriages fall apart because God, they believe that it's okay because God wants the person happy. Or how many times I've seen people fall into sexual sin because God wants them happy. And that is just a complete false belief of thinking that everything is okay because God wants us happy. God wants us to be obedient is what he wants from us. And the second thing with this is that, that people will say that God is a loving God so therefore everything goes. That God is not a God of justice and righteousness and holiness, and as a result, anything goes. 
People can redefine what the family looks like. People can redefine what marriage is. People can redefine everything outside of the realm of God because God is a loving God. God is a just God. But what happens if you elevate one attribute of God over another attribute of God, you've messed up God. That is not the right God. All of the attributes are together. While it does say that God is love, you're right. But it also says God is a just God and a righteous God. And there is, no, and you know what? It is only by grace that any of us is even sitting here this morning because we're all sinners. We are all sinners that are saved by grace. And so whenever you look at this passage, this is just some of the ways that, that we're able to look at this passage of the Tower of Babel and be able to see some of the implications of how the people at Babylon, really, it's a mirror image of what we are trying to do today as well, of trying to replace God and trying to change God, the, what he has already said. And we're still dealing with the consequences of Babylon and of the Tower of Babel, because if you watch on TV some the different... Um, whenever a video camera, they're, they're over the United Nations, you see a picture of people with all these earpieces in these ears. These earpieces are translators, people who are translating so everyone can understand, whether it's Arabic, Hindi, countless languages across the globe that people are interpreting because of the Tower of Babel and because of this curse upon the languages but God didn't leave it with just a curse upon the languages because God actually provided a way to overcome that curse and actually God actually breaks that curse himself. And we see a picture of that briefly. If you remember back in Acts chapter 2 when Pastor Mike was preaching there, you see a picture that at Pentecost that the Holy Spirit descends upon the people and as the Spirit descends... People from all different tongues and languages are able to understand each other in their own language. This is not a picture of just of people being able to understand, but it is a picture of God breaking the curse of languages and breaking the curse of the Tower of Babel. But God also, He's going to finally break this curse in the end whenever we're all gathered around, believers are gathered around the throne of God from every tongue, every tribe, every nation, and we're going to be worshiping God together with those who, who may not here on this earth have spoken that same language. But whenever we look at this, not only is He going to break this curse of languages, some of you, if you're a believer and a follower of Christ in this room, you've got to look and you've got to examine your heart of what or how are you living your life? Are you living a life that shows a complete lack of dependence upon God and that you're a self-sufficient individual that you don't need God? Or are you a believer and you are actually attempting to change God's plan and you are attempting to change things that are very clear written out in Scripture. And this is something that you have to examine and you have to look at your heart to see where you're at on this. And, and, and Scripture tells us, man, we just turn from that and we go back to being faithful to Scripture and faithful to what Scripture teaches. But some of you, though, maybe this morning you're sitting here and you're saying that you're like, Chris, I'm not a follower of Christ. But it's okay because nothing that you have ever done is greater than than the power of the blood of Christ to break the curse of sin in your life. 
There is nothing that you can do that can outweigh the forgiving power of Jesus Christ. That is the whole reason why he came to this earth to die on the cross and rose again on the third day just so that you could have a relationship and that you could have access to the Father. And our response is, it is just to repent, to turn from our sins, to recognize that. And then we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that curse of sin is forever and ever broken. We still struggle with sin, but the curse of sin has been broken. So this morning, as Nick comes, the altar is going to be open if you need to do business with God. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word.